Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. you today. As you probably gathered, our subject matter for today is prayer. And in fact, prayer is going to be our topic for uh, a number of weeks here going forward. And just thinking about prayer, I'm wondering if you've ever had any of these thoughts rattling around in your brain when it comes to prayer. Thoughts like, I should probably pray more. Or I feel guilty that I don't pray more. I just don't have much desire to pray. Or when I do pray, I feel guilty or condemned. I don't understand how prayer works. God doesn't seem to be hearing my prayers. I think the only time I pray is when I'm in trouble. I do want to pray, but I don't know what to say. I'm embarrassed to pray out loud when others are around. And when I do hear other people pray, I wish I could pray like they do. This whole prayer thing is just kind of confusing. Honestly, I don't think I know any believers in Christ who haven't had at least some of those thoughts at one point or another. You know, as I began thinking about prayer, I I started to recall some of the prayer experiences that that I had growing up. I remember one of my friends always thanked God for his food at mealtime by bowing his head and praying, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. Amen. And whenever he did that, I was always a little bit distracted by the fact that the words good and food didn't really rhyme. (laughs) In our home at mealtime, my parents usually offered this prayer, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. And that sounded better, although I didn't really know what it meant. I remember going to some church picnics, you know, and they'd call everybody together for prayer just before we ate. And I remember one guy praying, Lord, bless this food and the hands that prepared it. And that always sounded spiritual to me, but I always wondered, why just the hands? I mean, why don't we pray for their whole body? (laughs) Anyway, what I was getting is that uh, when there's food around, it's a good idea to pray and give thanks. Another good time to pray, I discovered, was at bedtime. And so as a kid, I learned to say this very comforting prayer just before heading off to dreamland. (laughs) Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to Keep, that's good rhyming, right? What's the next phrase? (laughs) I'm not the only one who prayed that prayer, apparently. When I think about it now, it's like, if I should die before I wake, I mean, that was kind of a terrifying prospect to a seven-year-old praying that before drifting off to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take. I prayed that little prayer just about every night for years and years as a kid. It was kind of scary, but it also seemed to kind of neatly wrap up the day's activities and tie a bow on everything. Later, I remember telling my mom that I was having um, bad dreams. I was having nightmares at night, which usually happened after watching Wolfman movies with my dad. Um, So she taught me to add a, a phrase to my nightly prayer routine, and so I did. And Lord, also, please have control over my dreams and my thoughts as I pray tonight, or as I sleep tonight. And that did seem to help some, although 
it helped more to stop watching those horror flicks with Dad. <laughs> and maybe like you, I was also taught to pray and confess my sins to God in prayer. And for me, that was usually along the lines of, please forgive me, God, for having bad thoughts today. Please forgive me for disobeying or disrespecting my parents. Please forgive me for tackling my little sisters in the hallway. And I did feel kind of bad about some of those things, and confessing them to God seemed to kind of help ease my guilty conscience. One thing I know I picked up from hearing other people pray was that you should always pray when you're in trouble or about to be in trouble. So I heard many prayers that were along the lines of, Help! God, help me! If you're really up there, please get me out of this mess that I got myself into. Please. And sometimes prayers like those would be followed by these promises, right? Like, and if you do, if you'll do this for me, I'll never miss church again. I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'll memorize the whole Bible. Those kinds of prayers made it seem like prayer was a way to try and get God to help you and maybe convincing him to do so by offering him some things that he apparently wanted. I also heard a lot of prayers for people who were sick or injured or who were dying, so I figured praying was what you did when doctors couldn't do a whole lot to, to help the situation. I bring up some of my own history with prayer just as a way of illustrating that all of us probably have certain notions in our head born out of our own experiences when it comes to prayer, especially if you were brought up in a religious home or church or a Christian home. We're all here today with some pre-packaged concepts about prayer, what it is and when we should do it and how it should sound and what God should do in response, all of that. And so knowing that, I've got a couple challenges for us today. One is um, let's all get our hearts in such a state that we're open to some new thoughts about praying. And then let's determine to let our thinking about prayer be shaped by the Word of God and more specifically by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this series we're in, it's going to last nine weeks, I'm asking the Lord to lead us together into a prayer adventure. And since we're seeking here at New Life to be a church that's driven by the gospel, my hope is that God's going to take all of us deeper into praying that is prompted by the gospel and, and formed and shaped by the gospel and that will produce gospel effects both in us and in the world around us. Which, by the way, is what I'm convinced prayer was meant to be in the first place. And so I, I, I thought, well, where to start? Where, where to begin this journey? And I pondered that for a bit. And here's where I landed. Since one of the main effects, the good news, the gospel has on us is to make us grateful people, amen, make us grateful, I decided to begin our journey into prayer by talking about what a great privilege it is to even be able to pray. And if you haven't taken the study guide out yet, go ahead and do that so you can follow along with me. And think about the honor that it is to be granted access into the very presence of the living God. I mean, prayer is a great privilege, do you know that? It's not something we're entitled to by nature. I think when we really do see prayer as a privilege, I believe we'll find ourselves praying more, praying about more things, and praying with more gratefulness that we have this communication channel with our Creator. I think when we don't see it as a privilege, prayer can become kind of this drudgery, this routine, this duty, this obligation that we're supposed to do 
or something that we take for granted or just kind of neglect. Drawing near to God is a great, great privilege. That truth underlies the Bible's many invitations to pray. Like in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, listen. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What's that? That's prayer. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or in James 4, 8 where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Somebody need to hear that today. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I'm telling you, prayer is a priceless privilege. It really is. We should feel honored that God has done the work to enable us to come close to him, to draw near to him in prayer. And I'm hoping and praying the Holy Spirit impresses that on your heart today. And so I'd like to point out several aspects of this great privilege in hopes that in hearing about this, you'll love the Lord even more for all that he's done for you. And so first, let's, let's just be aware of how that door got opened, how that door into God's presence got opened for us in the first place. Prayer is a great privilege, yes, but please understand, number one, that prayer is a costly privilege. It's a costly privilege. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here it is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, I want want to remind you today that it costs someone dearly for you to be able to enter into God's presence. It costs someone very dearly. Did you know that? This verse talks about the shed blood of Jesus and the torn, ripped body of Jesus which opened the way in for us. It mentioned the curtain. The curtain, and some of you know that's a reference to that big, four-inch thick heavy veil that hung there in the temple in Jerusalem like a big barrier, a a partition that sectioned off that most holy place, the holy of holies, from the rest of the temple. That curtain was an imposing reminder to the people of Israel that there existed a barrier between them and a holy God. In fact, access into that inner sanctuary was restricted to one man, and him only once a year, the high priest, the only one qualified to be a suitable mediator for the people before a holy God. And how did he do it? By atoning for their sins with a temporary covering by sprinkling animal blood on that mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And you know what? Even that high priest had to watch his step or it would be curtains for him, right? And what's the point of all that? God's holy presence cannot be entered into by human beings apart from a blood sacrifice. That's just the deal. And then so Jesus comes along, right? Jesus Christ, our great high priest, comes along and he did not bring the blood of an animal sacrifice. He brought his own blood into the tabernacle in the heavens. 
And he spilled it out on the heavenly mercy seat before his father. And he said, Father, here it is, my blood, my pure, innocent blood for their sins. Read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. And that's when that thick curtain hanging in the temple was ripped open from top to bottom by God himself, signifying that the barrier was demolished, the partition was shredded. Access was now open to all who would trust in that blood sacrifice. And we can draw near to God. I'm telling you, prayer is a costly privilege. Apart from Jesus being willing to go through with that, to become the sacrificial lamb, to become our great high priest, that barrier would remain in place. It was a costly It's a costly privilege, isn't it? But sometimes we get this twisted around in our head and we start to think that that prayer is really costly to us. Like, you know, can I really afford 10 minutes or 15 or 20 minutes for prayer? When I catch myself thinking that way, I remind myself that I must not have my gospel lenses on. I must not be seeing things very clearly because if I did, I wouldn't see prayer as a burden or a duty or a a ritual or an obligation, I'd think of it as a blood-bought privilege purchased for me that I'm glad to enjoy and looking forward to. It was costly to him, but really not to us. I'm thankful the Bible gives us a number of pictures of prayer to help us understand kind of how it works. And one of those pictures is that praying is like Walking into your father's study or your father's office and having a conversation with dad. I mean, that's what prayer is, right? For the children of God, talking to their heavenly father. And, and, and I say, yes, prayer is like that, but with this caveat, the only reason security would even let you anywhere near his office, the only reason you wouldn't be incinerated the moment that you walked in And the only reason that your mouth would dare utter a single word in his holy presence is because your perfect older brother was willing to suffer and die to remove the barrier between you and dad. Let's not ever forget that. God the Father graciously accepted his sacrifice in your place and in my place. You see, no sacrifice, no access. And certainly no bold drawing near into the presence of God. Here's the truth. We can approach God in prayer only, only on the basis of Christ's finished priestly work for us. I think it's probably good when we pray to just remind ourselves of that by speaking that. Dear Father, thank you that I can come to you in prayer today because my perfect older brother Jesus opened the door. Thank you. Prayer is a costly privilege. Yes, it is. Here's the second aspect. Prayer is a heart-fueling privilege. A heart-fueling privilege. That's what prayer is. Luke 18.1, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Or the King James says, faint. (laughs) Become discouraged, disheartened, despondent, despairing. 
This statement was made by Jesus, as I said, and, and, and it led into this fascinating story, this parable that he told about a widow lady who in her day was constantly being oppressed. And we don't know exactly how. Maybe it was a, an evil landlord or a scam artist of some sort. But in that culture, a widow would have felt helpless, really, to, to do much to defend herself. But in the story, as Jesus tells it, in, instead of losing heart, instead of giving up, this widow lady decides that what she's going to do is go down to the courthouse every day and see if she can get an audience with the local judge there. And it says that uh, even though that judge wasn't really a very caring person, he wasn't a nice fella, he didn't have much regard for God, he didn't care about people much, it says that because she kept persisting and showing up every day, pleading with him to do something, that finally he said, this woman's going to wear me out. What can I do to get rid of her? And it says he granted her her request. And then Jesus finishes that story by saying, look, if that's how it works here on the earth sometimes, with imperfect people sitting on the bench, how much more will a perfect judge in heaven grant justice to his chosen people who persist in crying out to him day and night? And here was his point. If, if you are one of his chosen, redeemed people, when you encounter situations in life that have the potential to take you down, to suck the life out of you, to lead you into the slew of despond, instead of losing heart, pray. Pray. Cast your burden on the Lord and keep praying like that widow lady. Don't give up. Keep showing up. Don't stop. Keep showing up in your father's office. Me again, father. I'm back. Remember, your only begotten son paid the price for me to be here as often as I want. I'm not trying to bother you, but I, I know you're not like that judge that Jesus talked about. You do care about people. You do love justice. What I'm asking you for is a good thing. As, as best I can tell, it's something that a good father would want to give to his son or daughter. It's something you want to happen. And, and I'm not powerful enough to make it happen, Father, but you are. It needs to happen for your name's sake. So I'm here to ask you again, will you please grant me justice from my adversary? Will you please, Daddy, Abba, Father, deliver me from the evil one? Will you please give me the desires of my heart? I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've prayed that prayer. And when I come into his presence like that, that, that hopeless feeling I started out with, that helpless, hopeless feeling starts to melt away in his presence. Drawing near to God, I'm reminded that my father's in charge of things, all things. In his presence, I'm moved to shift my gaze from that big mountain that looms in front of me and seems insurmountable and unscalable Shift it to the bigger God who makes mountains and can move them. I'm lifted from the pit of despair to being hopeful once again that things can be different. Jennifer Kennedy Dean, a noted author and speaker who's been here actually a couple of times in her book, The Promises of God, tells the story of a little girl right in the aftermath of World War II. She was bedridden in a Christian orphanage in Japan. 
She had a debilitating illness that very soon would, would take her life. Laying there in her bed every day, she had one overriding desire that once again she would be able to see the ocean. I just want to see the ocean that I love so much. And the ocean wasn't far away, but when she looked out her window, a big mountain blocked her view, and she couldn't see it. One day she heard the orphanage director, who was a Christian, say that God was big enough to move mountains, and that if his people just have a tiny little bit of faith, just like a mustard seed, and they pray and ask him that that God can move mountains, and she heard that, and she thought, well, I'm going to do that. There's a mountain I want, I want to be moved. And she started to pray and ask God to move that mountain so she could see the ocean. She even got some of her little girlfriends to come and join her in that prayer. The director heard that she was doing it, and she didn't want the little girl to be disappointed. So she, she gently told her, she said, Honey, what Jesus meant is that we can ask God to help us with our big problems and our big trials and our big troubles that's what he meant by mountains and she thought well then my mountain is a mountain (laughs) and i need god to move it and she kept praying she was not deterred she prayed and she prayed oh god please move that mountain so i can see the ocean again i so want to see the ocean and one day she got up and looked out her window and her heart leaped for joy there was the ocean God had moved the mountain for her and given her the desire of her little heart. What had happened is that the, the beach had, had started to erode and it had eroded to such a point that the local officials wanted to haul in some dirt and backfill it to prevent it from continuing and they decided to shave down that mountain. They brought in heavy equipment and bulldozed all that dirt right into the ocean. Isn't that a cool story? <laughs> I love that story. And it made me think, I wonder, in your life, what seemingly immovable mountain looms before you? And if you're not careful, you will lose heart that it'll never be moved. I wonder if there's a family situation that to you looks hopeless, like this is never going to change. Is there a personal struggle that you feel like, "I I just can't overcome this? Maybe financial pressure threatens to choke you and suffocate the life out of you. Or maybe there's a situation at work that just feels like it's just never going to change. It's always going to be this way. I was thinking about this, and I thought about my small group that I'm in, and, and the men in my group have been praying for several years now about one particular guy's situation at work. And he's in one of those situations where, you know how companies are doing these days when someone retires or someone gets released, sometimes they don't replace them, they just divvy out their responsibilities and kind of pile on the people who are still there. And that's what was happening to our friend. And he was just being buried every day under a workload that, you know, no human being could actually do this. It was sucking the life out of him. And he was losing heart. And to him, it looked more and more like things were never going to change. And every week, he would come into small group and he would share with us. And and we'd We'd hurt for him, and we'd pray for relief. We'd ask God to to give him some relief, please. A few times it looked like something was going to change, and then it would fall through, and that would disappoint him even more. But just recently, about five weeks ago, he came into group, and he said, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. The whole thing changed. 
They reorganize things. I got a new boss. There's other people now. I'm able to offload some of my work. I can breathe again. And we're like, thank God. We ought to thank God, guys. We've been praying about this for years. And we did. We stopped and we said, thank you, God, for caring enough about our brother to come to his aid in his time of need. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart, Jesus said. Listen, according to Jesus, if you're losing heart, if you are losing heart, it means you're not really praying. You're not really like releasing it and giving it to God. You can't really pray like that widow lady did and still be losing heart. But I know many of you have experienced what it's like to pray in such a way that you actually feel your father lift that burden up off your shoulders. It's as if he's saying to you, look, I'll take care of this. I've got it. I've got it. You just do what you know to do and I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the results, the outcome. And what happens? This unexplainable peace. You ever experience this? Floods your soul. It's called the peace that passes understanding. Prayer can be this. It should be a peace-providing, heart-fueling privilege where you offload your crushing burden onto the one who has shoulders broad enough to carry it. And you say, thank God. Thank you, Lord. It's a costly privilege. It's a heart-fueling, peace-providing privilege. Here's a third aspect of the privilege of prayer, and it's big. Number three, prayer is a history-altering privilege. A history-changing privilege. One of my favorite quotes from a man named Walter Wink. And he said this. You'll have to decide if you believe this or not. History belongs to the intercessors. History belongs to the intercessors, the prayers. My friends, people who know me know that I have a high view of the sovereignty of God. I believe the Almighty God is in control of all things, good and bad. That He's guiding human history to His culmination and His climax. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but you know what? I also, I also think there's a danger in going too far with that view if, if that view leads you to think this. Well... If God is sovereign, if he's in control of everything, if, if he's going to do what he's going to do, then why pray? You ever had thoughts like that? Why pray about stuff? If God is God and he's sovereign and he's controlling everything and he's got a plan and he's carrying it out, then, then what impact are my little prayers going to have? Am I going to change his mind? Is, is God going to alter his cosmic plan because little old me walked into his office and asked him for something? And I want to say this, if if your theology leads you to pray less, it's not a good theology. I've had friends whose theology took them to that place, and I believe it's not a good place, not a healthy place to be. I also believe it's unbiblical. Yes, God's people are instructed to trust the God who is in control, who is sovereign over all things, who has issued decrees that are going to come to pass, but the Bible also calls us to ask him for the desires of our hearts. Wasn't it Jesus himself who said, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. 
And that's in the present progressive tense. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking on the doors of heaven. One of Jesus' disciples, John, would later write this in 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. Psalm 37, 4. You know this one probably. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In that parable of the persistent widow that Jesus told in Luke 18, Jesus drove home his main point by saying this in verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? And so yes, God is sovereign over human history, over all things. He's in control. And yes, he tells people to ask him for things. And here's how I resolve that tension in my mind. God is big enough to factor in our prayers to his work. He's that big. He's big enough to factor in our prayers into his work in this world. In my devotions, in my time with God, I've been reading through the Old Testament. And uh, I'm up to 2 Samuel now. And <laughs> so you got the children of Israel, right? And the primary thought that has struck me in my reading is this. Why didn't God just wipe them out? I mean, how many times does it say, and the children of Israel started to whine and complain again and said, God, we should go back to Egypt where we had it so great. Or how many times does it say, does it say and the children of Israel worshipped the Baals, false gods, and bowed down before them. And I think, why didn't God, why didn't you just wipe them out for their unbelief and whining and idolatry? And you know what, truth be told, he had a mind to do that very thing at times. But something prevented him from wiping them out. Do you know what it was? Listen to this verse, Psalm 106, 23. Therefore he, this is God, said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. I remember reading about that incident. God was sick of their whining. He was going to wipe them out, and justly so. But Moses stepped into the gap between God and them and said, Lord, don't do this. You're going to tarnish your own great name in the minds of the surrounding peoples. Don't wipe out your people. And he turned God's wrath away from them. How do you explain that? Here's how I explain it. The sovereign God knowingly allows himself to be influenced by the prayers of his saints. One of my favorite prayer authors is named S.D. Gordon. Lived about 150 years ago. He wrote this. Prayer surely does influence God. It does not influence his purpose, but it does influence his action. Listen, don't ever think that your prayers don't matter that your prayers aren't making a difference. Don't ever think that your prayers are having zero effect. You may not understand how they matter, and you may not see any effects at this moment. But if you continue to feel prompted to pray, I say pray. Intercede. Ask. Petition. And just along those lines, thinking about Moses, is there somebody in your life that you're interceding for, holding back the wrath of God so that they have a chance to repent? 
S.D. Gordon wrote this, intercession, intercessory prayer implies a reaching out for somebody else. It's standing as a go-between, a mediator, a mutual friend between God and someone who is either out of touch with him or who needs special help. It is the form of prayer that helps God in his great love plan for winning a planet back to himself. History belongs to the intercessors? In a sense, yes. For some mysterious and good and glorious reason, God has chosen to accomplish his purposes on the earth through the prayers and activities of his people. I mean, think about the spread of the gospel. God could just create a cloud formation in in the form of John 3.16, right? Get the word out. But he uses people. He uses you. He uses me. He's looking for allies on the earth to join him in his mission of spreading his kingdom culture around the world. And part of that's through our prayers. Please don't lose sight of that. You matter. Your prayers matter. We can make a difference. People can be changed. The gospel can get to the remaining unreached people groups. Your life can be different. Your son can come back to God. Pray. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Impossible situations can change. I was talking recently with a woman who was obviously on fire for God. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, she was so on fire, she was crackling. (laughs) I'm like, how did you get to, have you always been like this? How did you get to be this way? (laughs) When did Christ become real to you? And she told me the story. She said, "I've, I've got a son a little fella, and she said, a while back, my, my little son was discovered to have a brain tumor, an inoperable brain tumor. And we took him to doctor after doctor, physician after physician, and, and none of them offered much hope at all for his life. She said, I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> God wasn't really in, in my life or in my thoughts, but, but some Christian people heard about my son, and they came to me and they said, we like to pray for people, and we, we believe in a big God who does big things, and would you l- allow us to come and pray over your son that God would heal him? And, and she said, I thought, well, wh- why not? You know, I'm willing to try anything. And so they did. They came, and they prayed, and God miraculously healed that young man. The doctors brought the scans back up, and they're like, where's the tumor? <laughs> it's gone, and they were... They didn't know what to say. They were stumped. And, and she looked at me and she said, what could I say? I mean, if God could do that, what else could he do? And she said, I decided right then and there to give my life to Jesus Christ. If there's a God in heaven who would do something like that for a sinner like me. Wow. Wow. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. King James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You hear stories like that. I know this is true. You hear that kind of story and you think, Well, I'm praying for things and they're not happening. I'm asking God for some healings and some miracles and moving some mountains and, 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 and there's no movement. I don't see anything happening, Pastor Steve. What should I do? And my advice to you would be to keep praying. As long as there's breath in your lungs, keep praying. 
Keep asking. Keep pounding on heaven's door. Father, it's me again. It's me again. It's me again. Remember, your only begotten son paved the way for me to be able to come every day and I'm here again. If you really believe that you're asking, that what you're asking God for is a good gift that a good father would give to his children, something that would glorify God and magnify his son and be for the good of his people, then keep praying. Don't stop praying. Recently, uh, I told my son the story of George Mueller. Um, I know, like him, some of you are praying for people to be saved and, and you're not seeing anything happening yet. George Mueller, you heard of him? Famous prayer warrior back, lived back in the 1800s. He was that guy who ran an orphanage and he, he uh, stocked it on prayer. Like, he'd gather all the kids around the table at night and the, the cupboards were empty and he would pray, you know, and say, God, give us this day our daily bread and some milk truck would break down in front of the orphanage and the guy would come and have all this stuff and say, can you use all this? I mean, it's just amazing stories. Well, this man, George Mueller, had a list of eight men that he was praying for that they would bow their knee to Jesus and become born-again believers. And he prayed for these eight men by name every day. And I ask you, do you have anybody that you're praying for for their salvation every single day? Well, he was. And for many years, he prayed for them every day. And there seemed to be no movement, nothing happening, no openness. For years. But he persisted in, in prayer. He's like that widow coming back to the judge every day. And then, after several decades, one of those men broke and gave his life to Jesus and became a Christian. A few years later, then another. Finally, seven of the eight surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and became Christians. At the ripe old age of 93, George Mueller passed away and they held a funeral in his honor. And wouldn't you know, that one remaining holdout decided, you know, I probably ought to go and attend this funeral for old George. And he showed up. And while George Mueller's casket was being lowered into the ground, that man broke and gave his life to Christ because of the witness and testimony that George Mueller had been in his life for decades. Later, somebody found Mueller's um, journal, his prayer journal, and they discovered that he had written this in his journal just as he was nearing his final days on the earth. Listen to this. It's a journal entry. I have been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion, and he is not saved yet, but he will be. How can it be otherwise? Because I am praying. Man, if you're like me, you know, you pray for something for like two weeks and it doesn't happen, and you go, oh well. (laughs) Must not be the will of God. Not going to happen. 63 years. Saved at his funeral. I hear that and I, I preach to myself and to you. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Keep praying. Keep knocking on heaven's door. God, you've got to do this. Only you can do it. Please, God, do this. For your great name's sake. If it looks bleak, keep praying because we walk by faith and not by sight. See, I don't see any movement. That's okay. We don't walk by sight. 
We believe that God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating situations and connections and circumstances to bring about the answer to those prayers that are in accordance with his will. One man called this kind of prayer PUSH prayer. PUSH, it's an acronym, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Push it. (laughs) Push it. Push. It's me again, God. You say it's going to make God mad. No, it won't. He encouraged it. He's the one who said, keep on asking. He's the one who told the story about the widow bugging the judge. It won't make him mad. If he doesn't want you to pray for it, you'll lose the desire to do so. I had someone after first service tell me, you know, I had something like that and just went away. But if it lingers, if you can't shake it, if it stays with you, then I say keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You just don't know how God is working. You don't know when he's going to answer. Have you discovered yet that God's timetable is not the same as yours? (laughs) If not, just listen to me. I'm telling you, God's timetable is not the same as yours. His ways are higher than our ways. But he is working. As Jesus' brother James wrote, you have not because you ask not. And that brings me to my final point this morning. And that's number four, that prayer too often is a neglected privilege. It's true, isn't it? It's a privilege. It's a great privilege, but so often we, we neglect prayer. We do everything else but pray. We summon all the human effort we can to try to make this thing happen. It's true. Despite the truths that we've seen today, that Jesus, through his sacrifice, opened the way for us to pray, despite the fact that that giving our burdens to God can fuel our hearts with fresh hope, despite hearing that our prayers can and do make a difference in others and in, in the world, Despite all that, too many of us just don't pray. This priceless privilege gets neglected. But I'm here to say it doesn't have to be that way. That can change. Starting today. You have not because you ask not can turn into you have because you asked. And if you're here today and you're hearing this sermon and you feel something stirring up in your soul, I say let it stir. That's probably the Holy Spirit stirring you up because God wants you to keep praying for that thing that you gave up on. You stopped praying. You figured it's not going to happen. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You're my ally down there on the earth. It's going to happen. I'm going to do it. Work with me. Pray, keep praying, keep asking, keep petitioning, keep knocking on heaven's door. The Spirit wants to move you into a deeper place, a more dependent place, a hopeful place. And so I encourage you, say yes to the Spirit. Let Him do His work in you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to the practice of prayer. Before I do, though, I, I want to remind us in a tangible way just how much of a priceless privilege this is. And so we're going to partake of communion together. 
And there's going to be some people who are going to um, go prepare and help us to do that here in just a moment. But I want you to think about this as you prepare your own hearts. Think about this. Jesus' flesh was ripped open so that the veil separating you and God might also be ripped open. Jesus forfeited his access to God in order that we might be granted access to God. Jesus gave up his privileges so that we might enjoy this privilege. Friends, we owe Jesus everything. Everything. Including thanks for ushering us into, making a way into the holy place of prayer. And so let's acknowledge that right now. Father, thank you so much for opening the way for us to be redeemed and forgiven and pardoned for our sins, for us to have the very righteousness of Christ applied to us. Thank you for the, the multitude of amazing benefits that come from believing the gospel, including this one. And Lord, I believe there are people here in this room today who needed to be reminded that prayer is a priceless privilege and yet a costly one. Lord, I ask you to meet with us in a special way right now as we partake. In Jesus' name.